0: Nikita Gusev has been traded and signed. Jordan Bennington and David Rich took bridge deals in the hopes of striking Rich later. Sam Gerard and Andre Vasilevsky agreed to a long ahead of schedule. And while restricted free, some noise for months, the big name RFAs that everyone expected to sign are still playing the waiting game. It's officially September. What in the world is causing all of the holdup? We'll dig into that in our main topic. Plus, Bill Guerin takes advantage of his second interview with the Minnesota Wild, while Caps forward Evgeny Kuznetsov has got some serious questions to answer after he failed a drug test in May. Episode 182 of the Lace Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Dubuff.
0: Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question?
1: Yes, I am.
0: All right, question 67. And just looking for, give me one second. Here we go. Question sixty-seven is as follows: Which Hall of Fame brothers were the only siblings to finish among the top three scorers during an NHL season? That's a good one. Is it a George and Frank? Sorry, Boucher. sorry. Say that
1: again. I was I was just doing a little bit more prep before. Um,
0: <laughs> okay. Right. Question sorry. sixty-seven because it's it's a loaded one. It's a good one, but it's a loaded one. Okay. Which Hall of Fame brothers? Hall of Fame brothers.
1: Okay. So not the Sedin's the because they're not in the Hall of Fame yet. <laughs> But yeah, when yet. when they are, it could work. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Which Hall of
0: Fame brothers, right now, were the only siblings to finish among the top three scores during an NHL season? So we're talking about the same season. The only siblings to finish among the top three scores was it A, George and Frank Boucher, B Maurice and Henri Richard, C Charlie and Roy Conacher, or D Max and Doug Bentley?
1: Yeah. It's funny because you would, you would think that the Sadines would actually be the answer to this, but they're not in the Hall of Fame, obviously. So, and mm-hmm. um, that's tough. Um, I'm gonna go with Richard, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with the Richards.
0: You're going with the generic answer that everyone would probably pick, and that's Maurice and Harvey Richard. Oh, is
1: this a trick question. But it was
0: Max and Doug Bentley. Oh,
1: really? Interesting. i yeah, never even heard of those good. two.
0: Yeah. yeah uh, so both played for the Chicago Blackhawks. Okay. Um, this was uh, in 1942-43. So Doug Bentley played in 50 games, scored 33 goals and 73 points, was the top scorer and a first All-Star. His brother Max played in forty-seven games, also with the Blackhawks. He had twenty-six goals and seventy points, and won the Lady Bang Trophy.
1: Interesting. So,
0: yeah, big season for the Bentleys in 42-43, and uh, they are the answer to this week's trivia.
1: Yeah, I w- yeah, you're right. That was a it's like a trick question, just because you can't think of anyone else. I would have never guessed that. Like that was probably been my fourth guess. Yeah, when,
0: um, <laughs> when they are in the Hall of Fame, probably the Sedins will yeah, blow them out of the water. Because they sure. got way more than
1: 70 points. Actually, so this brings me to another question, or my favorite fact, and I'm sure you know this because this is always um, a part of it. But which brother, uh, which siblings has the most points um, in their career? Like, if you tally both of their oh, yeah, point totals. Told
0: me about this. It's the Gretzky's.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, he, like, Keith was, Gretzky only has, like... like and like ten point. points, was yeah. from his
0: brother. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's <laughs> only because uh, Wayne Gretzky had like has the most points of all time. Yeah,
0: two thousand plus, and and yeah. there's his brother, just like he's there.
1: Right. I mean, he is the GM of the. He was the interim GM of the uh, Oilers, but yeah, um, for a time. But yeah, it's not a. Yeah, that's pretty much the only thing that he has to his name at the moment. Yeah. Um, and he was a part of the Bruins as well. I think, right, um, yeah. anyways, uh, let's get to, uh, today's segment. I think this is probably like one, I mean, I guess it's since August and September, are, I guess August is usually a pretty much of a, a slow month uh, for mm-hmm. hockey, just cause there's not a ton of stuff that happens. You always think like, cause every now and then there's always like some big college free agent that, um, that needs to be signed and and stuff. And this is around the time where all the RFAs get signed, Um, except for this year, where um, there are about like 12 big, I mean, about, I haven't actually calculated how many RFAs are left, but uh, there's a a fair amount of them. And it's not just like some like random like players, they're like probably in the top, 25 top 50 of the best players in the league right now um so so much to the fact that i'm not even sure which one is the best of these guys um so i'm gonna say just gonna go by the ones that um we've talked about a lot uh mitch marner um is the big one uh because i mean it's toronto media uh miko rantanen is another big one matthew kachuk Uh, Miko Rantanen, who was a points leader for a time, Brayden Point. Um, And then you have a trio of defensemen. Oh, I forgot. uh, Brock Besser, Patrick Laine, and Kyle Connor. Um, And then you have a trio of uh, quality young defensemen here with uh, Charlie McAvoy, uh, Zach Wierenski, and Ivan Provorov um also not on to these other players that of this player stature but it is important uh especially for mcavoy and proverov but um uh Konechny is also an rfa brandon carlos an rfa and uh adrian kempe from the kings is also an rfa so kevin fiala, kevin
0: fiala in minnesota kevin too, fiala is in another
1: one. one yeah um Oh, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I was looking at this tweet that just gave us the notable ones. Uh, I didn't have Kevin Fiala on here, yeah. but so, like, the yeah. names you
0: just listed, like Point, Ranson, and Marner, like, yeah. a lot of those are like upper echelon unrestricted free agents. That's something. I th- I don't know about in your lifetime. In my lifetime, I've never seen an RFA class as strong. No. And I with haven't so either. many players waiting yeah. for contract at this time in the offseason.
1: It's so good that they would be like a playoff team if they mm-hmm. <laughs> all, for some reason they were all on the same team. Um but yeah, it's um it, it's so this is kind of like this has kind of been an a interesting factor here. Uh, before we get into like the questions and why this is, ha- actually, let's start with that. Why, because <laughs> um, I was going to talk about Line a, Marner, and Rantanen just briefly, and then we can talk about why this is happening. But I think it makes sense to just talk about why this is happening first. Um, so there is um, a couple of things. Uh, uh, we, uh, we did talk, uh, or you did talk about uh, this situation with Colin Teske um, and he was mentioning how like there's kind of like a standstill um, and uh, there's also like William Nylander last year, he held out um, and eventually got the money that he wanted and it was kind of team friendly at the same time but he held out since till like December um, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was, that's a big influence because then the rest of the league or the rest of the rfas are like oh i should like i should hold out till december 2 or as long as i want until the the team is getting me what i want um i have a couple of other theories here but i i i feel like i'm talking a, a ton already so uh what are uh, what do you think why is this happening and then i can go into my theories after yeah
0: so so I'll, I'll allude to the Nylander thing because it is yeah. my, part, uh, my part of the argument, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll provide this first because I think it is important to illustrate how strong this class is. You look at guys like Marner, you look at guys like Point, both got 90 plus points last season. Both guys were top 20 scorers in the NHL. and also in the top 20 with 87 points. Matt Kachuk uh, the 30-plus goal scorer, 77 points. Um, he was listed on the NHL's top 20 wingers list. I believe Marner and and were also on there. You also have Patrick Laine, who inconsistencies aside. Another 30-plus goal season from him. Almost had like a 20-goal season in like a month, which is insane. Um, all of this RFA talent that I'm talking about was in the NHL's top 50 scores, excluding Laine. Um, and all of them are waiting to get paid. And then you have defensemen like Berwenski who had 11 goals and 44 points, Uh, a guy like McAvoy who's really emerging into a key blue liner for the Bruins. Um, Even a down year for Provrov, he still got 23 goals and 71 points in his first two campaigns combined. Um, There's a lot of talent still out there. And I definitely think like Colin Teske did, um, during our chat uh, in late July, that William Nylander's holdout from last season has played a very significant role in the holdouts that we're seeing right now. He was very, very bold to sit out the first few months of the season, miss out on training camp activities, not play a second of preseason hockey. He did that in the hopes the Maple Leafs would open up their wallets and give him what he wanted. And when we're talking about December, The deadline was December 1st, 5 PM. I didn't hear anything about Nylander signing until literally the final minutes before the deadline. So when we're talking Nylander waiting out to get paid, he waited until the last possible minute and he got a deal done with Kyle Dubas and he got paid over 6 million per year. So he got what he wanted. And then you add on to that with the fully loaded contracts that we're seeing with austin matthews back in february um with eric carlson with drew dowdy panarin price Bobrovsky, vasilevsky all of these guys making close to like 10 million per year before that it was Taze, patrick kane and Connor mcdavid really setting the bar and those were reserved for like the high and mighty once upon a time only the best of the best but like the elite level talents and i think with mcdavid you know it's just like okay he's the best player not named crosby that's an outlier but when you're seeing guys like carlson and dowdy and panarin getting upwards of 10 million plus that just drives up the market the outlier itself is gone it's becoming more commonplace for players to get in these fully loaded contracts and i feel like as a result of this the market is going up but watching time tick away to get paid that was all Willie Neilander. Matthews got his deal done in February before all of this, before all this waiting game had to take place. Neilender had to wait to get paid. So if the player is that valuable to a team, the player, I think, is probably well aware they're going to get what they want if they don't budge because they have leverage. Even if a team like Buffalo or Arizona offers sheets a player, as Colin Teske also alluded to the player has to want to go to that market and that player has to sign the offer sheet. At the same time though, the player has to be very careful of how long they wait. But if a guy like S. L. is making close for like 6 million per year, why should McAvoy and Wierenski be forced to sell for anything less than that? Why should Marner who stepped up his game when Matthews was hurt and got praised from Tavares for doing so and taking charge of that Maple Leafs roster forced to take anything less than 10 million if Matthews is getting 11 million plus. Right. I don't blame any of these players for waiting to get what they want because um, it works with Nielander.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that is a good point. And I, I was just going to talk about Matthews and I think that's a, another big reason why um, mm-hmm. we're in this holdout. It's not just because William Nielander got this big deal, but the fact that austin matthews got this like amazing deal for him where it's like 11 million he's making 11 million um for five years it's going to take him straight to his ufa and that's going to be like the new normal where a lot of players are good like obviously austin matthews is on another tier than a lot of these guys maybe not marner maybe um maybe Rantanen is up there too, but like you can make, that's the whole point is, is like you can make a case that Marner is up there, Rantanen is up there. You can even make a case that Patrick Laine is up there uh, with mm. Austin Matthews and the fact that Austin Matthews got paid 11 million on his, um, on his RFA deal, that just raises the stock up so much. It's kind of like why um, when B- B- Bobrovsky got 10 million that raises the prices for goalie markets. So then, in turn, uh, Andre Vasilevsky gets paid um, close to that amount, even though maybe he's not worth it. So it's like, um, so you, so I feel like that that has a lot to do with it. Where there's like this comparable of Austin Matthews, where he's kind of on a similar skill level as a lot of these guys, like point. Rantanen, Marner, yep. um, even, and Patrick Liney, although he had a bad last year, but, you know, like all those, those, at least those four guys could make a case that they're, they might be better than Austin Matthews, um, okay. or similar to him, and that's something that teams don't want to do. Um, I have a couple of other theories here as well. Um, okay. So the the main one is, and, and when I was listening this out, I kind of noticed this too, And maybe I'm more Bruins focused, but I think a lot of the reason why the Bruins have not signed both Carlo and McAvoy is because there are two guys there um, and they're just, they just have cap issues. And I think that's like a big reason. Like obviously you want to sign McAvoy and Carlo. Those guys are going to be like the, uh, like the two of our uh, best defensemen for a while. for a while, uh, for a long time, and who knows what what's going to happen with Tori Krug and obviously Chara's forty two years old right now, but like, and Zuccarask
0: in two years yeah. time, I think that could also play. That's another a huge one factor.
1: too. But like, but the fact is, is that the Bruins don't have enough money to sign both of them to what they want, yeah. um, and it's not like the Kevin LeBlancs. Neither one of them are going to pull a Kevin LeBlanc and get <laughs> yeah. one million. So it's. Um, so that's, that's where it's, um, so I think for certain teams, um, especially the Bruins, the Flyers and the Jets who have two key RFAs um, to, uh, to sign, uh, that's, that's really the effect here. Um, the Jets are an interesting team because when you look at Cap Friendly, they have the most money in cap space or they have the most cap space. Yet yeah, two of the, two players in their core, Kyle Connor and Patrick Liney, are taking forever to sign, uh, so they can't even do anything. And they lost like Jacob Truba. They lost, um, they lost another guy too that I'm like, playing, Tyler Myers. So they yeah. lost a lot of these guys, and they can't even improve and stuff. But like, so I think especially for the Bruins, uh, Jets, and um, Flyers, they would love to sign these guys. But, uh, just their cap situation is, um, just in limbo where they have to make other moves just to make room, uh, for, uh, for Proverov, Konechny, um, McAvoy, Carlo, and Co- uh, Connor and Laine. Um, <clears throat> another one, I think Sebastian Aho had a kind of an effect about how he got offer sheeted, um, and, um... And I think that like, and that was a way where he started to, um, I don't know, this wasn't really a fully formed theory at this moment, but I think this is more like, uh, he, he kind of like set the limit here where like where Austin Matthews gets the most you could probably get as an RFA with 11 million, whereas Sebastian Ajo just signed an, an offer sheet at 8 million. Um, and he's on the same level as all these other guys that are still RFA's, um, and that's probably right. like the so lower he, he, he
0: unintentionally level. Unintentionally yeah. set the threshold. It's yeah. somewhere in between Sebastian Ajo and Austin Matthews.
1: Right. So, so all these guys are gonna like, th- like it or not, they're gonna be compared to both Matthews and Ajo. It's just really how you compare it to those things, um, which yeah. takes me to my next point. Um, since I am a Bruins fan, I've been more in tune with the McAvoy stuff, um, and um, and we talked. And I read this article from the Athletic, and I mentioned it to you through email, Steve, but it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, they talked to his uh, McAvoy's agent, and it, McAvoy's agent essentially said it, is that he's waiting for Zach Werenski and Ivan Proveroff, Um and I. Um, and to set what comparables they get compared to what McAvoy gets. Um, And I think that may be the same reason why uh, Wierenski is holding off. He wants to see what McAvoy and Proveroff are getting, and the same can be said for Provorov with the other two uh, defensemen. So um, there's kind of just a standstill where one of them doesn't want to... Because they're all about equal amounts of uh, skill level Um, and I think like, so it's like, but like the thing is, is that none of these guys want to sign first for for some reason. So it's like, I have a feeling that once one of these guys sign, they're going to, uh, you know, the other two will quickly sign thereafter. Um,
0: yeah. Once one, once one domino falls, yeah. it's a
1: chain reaction. Um, and like the interesting thing here too is, it says in this article that for Warinsky's case, which I thought was kind of interesting, is that uh, Seth Jones is making like six million um, per year, um, and the Blue Jackets do not want to pay Warinsky more than Seth Jones, even though Seth Jones signed that contract. Three years ago, when the market was completely different, so it's mm-hmm. it's like a that that's also another interesting aspect of this thing too. Um, and then lastly, which we'll get into in a bit, but uh, there this recently there's a there's a lockout uh, come maybe a strike coming um, in a in a couple years um, where the NHL just agreed to it. Um, but I have a feeling the NHLPA uh, is not happy about how RFAs are treated. Um, you know, it, it seems like the RFAs are always signed to a team friendly deal. Um, and I think this is going to be a big issue um, when the time comes. So, um, and I think a lot of players like the RFAs are seeing this. And they're like, why pay this much when I'm not even sure if there's going to be a season next year? Um, so I think there, and it could go both ways too. Maybe there's owners and GMs who are like, uh, this needs to be sorted out before we uh, figure, figure it out. So, um, but we'll get more into that in a bit. Um, I don't yeah. know. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts on what I just said? In regards to Zach
0: Wierenski stuff I'm hearing, um, the AAV starts with a five. So okay. probably five million plus is what we're looking at for Wrensky per year. Um, yeah. That seems to be what he's looking for. I also uh, saw an article that um, the Blue Jackets would really, 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 really love Wierenski ready to go for training camps. So um, I think probably in the next couple of weeks, you'll start to see the dominoes uh, uh-huh. begin to fall. And I, that
1: and I was wrong. Seth Jones is making five point four million, which is very, uh, very, cheap.
0: very cap friendly. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: very cap friendly. But the thing is, is like at the time that was pretty expensive. At the time, it was in. it was yeah. good money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now it's like, oh, you got Seth Jones for five million. Jeez. Um, but um, and the, the other interesting thing that I noticed, which is kind of interesting too, Winnipeg Jets have the most cap space right now. The Blue Jackets have the second most cap space, the Avalanche have the third most cap space, and the Flyers have the fourth most cap space. So like, and those are all teams that have uh, RFA to settle or two. So it's like, it is an interesting thing. I'm not really sure why that is. I don't have any theories for that, but um, yeah, I found that interesting. Um, Anyways, speaking of the Jets, Um, it appears that Kyle Connor is going smoothly he wants to be a part of the Jets and the Jets want him I guess they're just trying to figure out that stuff but Patrick Laine um, this was August 16th so two weeks ago um, he he talked to uh, he's kind of not sure Um, he you know and like Marner Rantanen and Point. They've all said like they want to play uh, for the team that they you know that they play for. It seems like everything's going smoothly in that regard. But uh, for Patrick line he says like, well, you never know. It's still business. You got you've got to be prepared for anything. Liney said Friday. But yeah, you never know where you're going to play next year. So I'm just prepared for anything. I've got nothing bad to say about Winnipeg. You know, it's been good so far, but you never know. So that's kind of my comments. Um, And then he also said that he enjoys um, Finland in the fall, or it's nice that time of the year. So he's uh, prepared to wait. Um, And then he also said that, uh, uh, this is kind of unrelated, but I learned when I'm scoring, I'm scoring a lot. And when it's not going well, I'm just going to stay with it, said Laine. Um, still, even though you're not scoring, there's so many things you can do well for your team, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, so, um, yeah, the, uh, but, like, it's just, uh, and also, oh, the other thing is that Patrick Laine uh, says contract Talks have not been, uh, have been non-existent all summer, which is odd, um, and he isn't sure what it means for his future with the team, Um, And then lastly, I have something from Jeff Merrick who says, the leadership group in Winnipeg rides that team really hard and drives that team really hard. And if you don't keep up, that leadership group doesn't have a lot of time for you. There's a feeling around the NHL that Patrick Laine has fallen out of favor in Winnipeg. So now all the speculation is now that Winnipeg is looking to trade Patrick Laine, which may have been, which if they do that, may be the stupidest thing I think any team could ever do. And that includes Eric Carlson being traded from Ottawa. That includes uh, getting nothing from Ryan O'Reilly in Buffalo. If you trade Patrick Line, that's like, th- that I would lose my mind if they did that. But uh, he's like the top goal scorer, uh, he's 20 years old. I know he had a bad, uh, bad season. But last year uh, he still scored 30 goals. that's uh, that's a pretty good floor for someone like that. And secondly um, he like he I think he was injured for half the year he had like back injuries so just to like trade Patrick Line after one bad season um, and I know Winnipeg is loaded up front so it's not like it's gonna be like they're gonna get. Frenier next year or whatever. But, like, just the fact that they're even considering trading him is ludicrous to me. And I know you feel differently from that.
0: Well, uh, uh, first off, uh, Wayne Gretzky to the LA Kings is probably the stupidest trade of all time because the Oilers (laughs) were in the middle of their glory years. That may be the... I see your your point.
1: (laughs) I I, I have to be... um, I have to go all hyper hyperbole here but yeah, yeah you're right that is uh <laughs> yeah mark, mark, the mark stone story. trade out of
0: ottawa was also pretty dumb <laughs> yeah that
1: was also pretty dumb too <laughs> but i mean at that point it's like you trade you traded eric carlson you knew that yeah, mark Sto- yeah. you knew that duchene was like you knew the what trade, road you were going so it's down, like, yeah. all right but yeah. anyways anyways patrick, <laughs> anyways patrick line a um
0: like again people forget he was taken after austin matthews second overall yep people forget he's got a deadly shot that's very quick and precise and when he's on his game consistency issues aside the dude can score almost 20 goals in a month he yep. almost did it so when he's locked in it's pretty obvious how good he can be when you hear the progress that's coming along with kyle connor and then you hear patrick lane saying the contract talks with winnipeg have almost been non-existent the entire summer i'm thinking what the heck is going on here because you're talking about a guy with pure talent that when on his game is automatic 30 goals a year at worst automatic 30 goals a year um just one of the best pure goal scorers in this league not named obetchkin he should be your top priority to re-sign. And when he even doesn't know what's going to happen, you have that seed of doubt that's planted and it starts to creep into your brain. Um, He's mentioned in the Players Tribune before that he loves Winnipeg. He loves the city, the team, the fans. Been through a few playoff runs. He knows what the environment is like at Bell MTS Place. It's absolutely bananas. Uh, The Ford group in Winnipeg, one of the best you can find, in my opinion. And... It's a major surprise that Liney is one of the players that remains unsigned for the reason that Winnipeg really hasn't been tossing the football back and forth with his camp. And, you know, if he struggles again this year, then yeah, maybe I start to worry about his offense. But he's still, as you mentioned to me off air, Brett, he's still six in the league in goal scored yeah. since his rookie season a couple of years ago. Yeah. Are you? Really willing to give up on a top three pick because of one inconsistent year? Are you that confident he's not going to be able to revert to the player that he was two years ago? Like, again, I've said it before in this podcast. I'll say it one more time. There was a time in Ovechkin's career in his late 20s, early 30s, where he wasn't scoring 50 goals a season as often as he was about three to five years ago. And in that period of time a lot of people were convinced or worried at least that the best of ovechkin was behind him and yep. the past few seasons he's been as dominant as he's ever been he hasn't been shooting as as nearly as much as he was in his earlier seasons which back then was insane but yep. he's still 40 to 50 goal threat every year and he's won a stanley cup guys that have the talent level that patrick Laney has usually get it figured out and i think It would be a mistake for the winnipeg jets to give up on him so early i think in order for the jets to give up on him they'd have to have exercised every possible option and things would have to not work out for me to say you know i still don't like them trading patrick Line, but i get why they did i don't get why they should trade patrick
1: yeah i'm not even sure like what the value of Patrick Laine would be, because it seems so astronomical (laughs) to think about. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, the other thing, and you mentioned Ovechkin, because like Ovechkin struggled early on in his season, or he had a couple of bad seasons for his standards. It's very similar to here, because they also knocked Ovechkin's defense a lot, or that like he's only good for scoring goals And in hockey. You need to do much more than that. But at the same time, when you have the shot like Ovechkin, when you have a shot like Patrick Line, that's all that matters. So, um, and like a lot of snipers, they don't really they're very streaky. That's just been a case across the board for forever. So like, just the fact that he went on a huge cold streak this year and still got 30 goals and he was playing injured for about half the year although I hate when when players play injured but that just shows how good he is is that he got 30 goals while injured <laughs> you know so it's uh it's a it's an inter- it's just uh, I, I do not understand why they would try to trade him um, I don't even know if there has been any speculation. I think that there was one that, like, he was going to go to Carolina or something. But um, To
0: be reunited with Sebastian Ajo, I would yeah. like to see that reunion. That would be and fun I, to and watch. And I
1: guess, I guess that would be interesting, too, because, like, Carolina needs uh, maybe one more forward. Um, and then, uh, you know, Winnipeg gets a defenseman to help out. Them on the other side of things, or uh, I think there's another one for Buffalo, um, which would be interesting too, because they need Buffalo, may need another forward, um, and they have a lot of
0: defensemen as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and, the, and but, with Rick like yeah. the Jets need a good top four defense, yeah. Think, would be interesting are.
1: too, but uh, it's just like from my perspective, maybe I'm biased because I love Patrick Lana, he's probably my favorite non. Uh, Bruins player, um, but it's it just it would not make sense to me to trade this guy. Um, and it,
0: would al- it would also it would also be a really tough time for the Winnipeg Jets fan base because, yeah. and I'm sure you know, the different situations, that different times. Yeah. The Jets were close to extinction at that point and on the way to yeah. uh, Arizona. But once upon a time, they had Team Sillanti, and in the middle of his prime, he got traded away. For- so that I think that would bring back some really bad memories oh, yeah. um of trading away Timu if they let Patrick Laney go as well.
1: I thought you were going to mention the fact that they already lost Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers but uh No, no we mentioned
0: we mentioned uh, that they've lost a lot of key players yeah, already yeah. but the the fact they would just give up on one after the, yeah. <laughs> they they've after one, Yeah. They they lost two yeah, like yeah, um, even at his worst like Patrick line could yeah, still just, probably score. Just the
1: fact that they like maybe they're not thinking of treating him but just the mm-hmm. fact that they haven't even talked to him is uh um, It's concerning, yeah. Yeah. it's just crazy. Um uh another news from RFA's uh Mitch Marner is going to the Lions which uh which is in the Swiss league. Um it's also most notable for uh, Austin Matthews played there, uh, his draft year, um, mm-hmm. in 2016. I doubt he actually will play some games, but, um, because he's going to risk injury, but, um, there, there's news there. Um, and then, uh, Mikko Rantanen is, uh, going to Nor- Norway to train, um, it's a team called Storehammer, um, going to Europe, and I, th- I, I think it's a similar situation for Mitch Marner where, um, he's just there to train, he's not there to actually play any games, um, just to not to risk any injury or whatever. Um, yeah,
0: it, to keep himself a bit fresh, but I don't think it honestly, training really benefits is going to benefit either guy, and I think it's going to hurt them in the long run, because if you remember with the whole Nylander situation, he went overseas to stay in shape and stay fresh, and when he came back to the NHL, he still struggled out of yeah, the gate. That's I don't see either Rantanen or Marner going over 80 points if they if they miss training camp time if they miss regular season time if they miss preseason if if they're missing out on stuff um I don't think they'll be as dominant as people think they'll be this year
1: well that's so. like a that's not really that much of a hot take because they're gonna miss if, if they do hold out till like Nylander is they're gonna miss like forty games. So they're not. Mm-hmm. They're definitely yeah. not getting eighty points at that point. Um, but um, yeah, so that's the the interesting thing here. Um, okay. Even
0: even if they miss only ten games, I'm concerned still.
1: So the only player that could probably get uh, two points per game um, is Connor McDavid. Um, and he's and the good news for the Oilers is that he said he never considered a bridge deal or pushing his signing this late when he was an RFA um, he'd hate to risk missing a training camp um, at the time this was kind of taken out of context because I just saw this as a tweet and I thought this like was like a shot at all these other guys who are like like all these RFAs who are still waiting um, but because it's like, like of course Connor McDavid says that. Like every team wants would give anything that Connor McDavid wants. So it's not like he he he's in a different situation from everyone else entirely. But um, so I thought it was, but I thought it was just like a weird, like out of touch quote from him because he's Connor McDavid. But you found another I, I think quote.
0: That's the only way Connor McDavid can be straight yeah. up savage is yeah. if something is taken out of context.
1: Right. 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 But then uh, then when I was researching it for this episode, I found out that he did say that he understood why uh, these RFAs are um, waiting, but, and he's in support of, of them. So it's like, a, so it was taken a bit out of context and I didn't realize that. But um, anyways, you said that McDavid said something else that was interesting, so uh, you have that quote. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so not verbatim word for word, but the gist of it is uh, Connor McDavid on the new CBA, whenever it's discussed, he says, we're the guys it will affect the most. We're the players who are going to be playing with this new CBA, so we'll have to get an agreement in place that benefits both sides. That's not verbatim what he said, but in a nutshell, that's what he said.
1: Right. So so that, that brings us, I mean, I have this as a theory and stuff, but we had a couple of questions here. So... Um, about that lockout because will the NHL's RFA system um, as it is now be changed in the future um, and I think it, it will be or maybe there's gonna be some slight t- tweak but I think it's just the fact that the way that Nylander stuff was handled the way that Austin Matthews stuff was handled the way that Sebastian Aho's stuff was handled um, and now where there's this huge log jam that's like unprecedented At this point, I think there is something there where the NHL and the NHLPA will be like, all right, we have to figure something out that's going to be reasonable for that. For what that change is going to be, I'm not sure, but I think there will be a change in the future.
0: Yeah, tough to really pinpoint a, a change yeah. on there uh, with with all the CBA stuff. Um, I think the new CBA is going to have a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. Until they have a chance to really debate that, I don't see a point in time in the near future where it gets changed. Um, that that being said, it's 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 a very interesting question um, because, as you know, the CBA is set to expire in. 2022 maybe 2025 if they can extend it but uh the nhl said it will not use its opt-out for next year it will it will not reopen it it will stay the course so now the nhlpa has said um they're going to take their time by september 15th they'll make their decision um as to whether or not they opt out and reopen it um and uh you know with with all the money going up if they think they can maximize their personal gains um it wouldn't surprise me if they reopen the cba and see if they can get more money um i think once we get through that point once we get through mid-september then i think you'll start to see a lot of flies dropping um i think they're just waiting for that ruling at this point um it it it's it's really really interesting um, because the NHL is profitable in more ways than it was 20 years ago the game and the market is constantly growing we're seeing bigger contracts getting dished out Um, and if you know the players watching uh, from home you know future NHLers see this kind of movement and the players looking for their true value get exactly that in the coming weeks maybe you'll see more cases of it in the foreseeable future i mean you look at the highest paid player in the nhl i saw this tweet back in 1999-2000 the highest paid player in the nhl was yarmar yagra making over 10 million and the other sports leagues like the nba the nfl major league baseball They were, I think the highest salaries were like, maybe like 15 to 20 million per year, um, in, in the respective leagues. And now we're seeing like 25 to 30, maybe even 40 million for those other leagues. While the highest paid player in the league is still making under 15 million per year. So, um, I, I think it, it, it does make you think um, what the NHLPA is going to do when you look at those numbers and you think, well, look at all these other leagues and all their players are getting filthy, stinking rich, and we're not even making like the highest paid player in our league's not even making half what the highest paid player is making like the NBA, let's say. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm really interested to see what the NHLPA does um, on September 15th or even before that.
1: Yeah, it should be interesting to see for sure. Um, yeah, I guess they have till September 15th, so that's going to be something um, to, to keep in mind um, in the coming weeks. Um, yeah, uh, do you think this year's RFAs holdout is just an outlier, or will we see more of this down the road? Um, I get it.
0: Again, it all depends on what uh, the players get uh, if it's full value or not and yeah. um, I also think it depends on the strength of the year in, in the RFA too um, sure. like we haven't seen anything like this I haven't in my lifetime yeah. um, I think the next real chance that we're really gonna see it is um, in a couple of years when uh, Peterson is uh, going to get paid, when Rasmus Dallin's going to get paid, yep. maybe uh, Kako and Hughes. Uh, I know I'm probably looking way too far yeah, ahead, but far, yeah. that could be another year too. Sure. So it all depends on moving forward how the other RFA classes uh, handle it. Because um, I, I I don't know if the RFA, I think it's it's going to be, because there are a lot of key RFAs that were signed. Um, before um, all of this started to happen, but the key RFA's that were signed had arbitration hearings scheduled. Guys like Truba, guys like David Riddick, guys like Jordan Bennington, with guys like Point, Ranton and Kachuk, they were eligible to be she They didn't have the option to go into arbitration. Yeah. Um, I I do think those kinds of RFA's um, are are going to have a say in, a, in particular. So um, too early to say if it's going to have a long term impact. I think we'll have to see. Uh, what impact this current group of RFA's has on the market? Uh, before I I say anything more on that, but um, it, it it could happen though. It could it could have a profound yeah. impact and it could change the game. We'll see.
1: I think is I think the fact that this stuff is happening is kind of like a sign of how good young players are right now. 100 percent. Yeah. And, and how effective they can be. Like all these guys are a huge part of their core. Are a big reason why they, they they're like a successful teams and stuff. So, yeah. um, I think yeah we'll see more to come just because the league has gotten much younger in general and you know their young players are get, given more opportunities and whatnot. Um, just a quick look here. Uh, next year, uh, Anthony Mantha, Clayton Keller, uh, Matthew Berzal, Thomas Shabbat, Jake DeBrusque um matt murray um i think there's a couple of other ones but those are like the big rfas that are gonna be the case next year um that's not up to this year's class but um but there is a couple of stuff oh i guess uh casey middlestead and henry henrik borgstrom nico he if they make a move up a step up this year that could be an interesting thing too but uh, yeah, nothing, that's still not really close to um, to uh, this year's class.
0: Don't forget Kevin LeBanc.
1: And Kevin Lebank <laughs> of course. Um, who was a part of this year's class, and then he, yeah. uh, you now he's going to be in next year's class as well. Um, Alright, uh, then we just have some weird predictions here, but who will be the first to sign, who will be the last to sign? Um, I think for the first design I think the Braden Point stuff is or maybe Mika Rantanen cuz I think um all the stuff that Colorado and Tampa Bay has done this summer has shown that they're like you know that they're they're like getting ready to sign Point or Rantanen um and they're kind of like assuming that they're going to get them signed they're just making room and figuring other stuff out beforehand. Um, Colorado Avalanche has a lot of cap space and they only have to sign one person. Um, so I think uh, Rantanen will probably be signed um, relatively recently. Um, also, as you mentioned, Wierenski pretty close already. So maybe Wierenski is, is going to be the first to sign.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, we're, we're thinking on the same wavelength. Um, particularly, I would go with Braden Point, because just of how pivotal this year is for the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, the additions they made, how last season ended. Um, they pretty much have to sign one key yep. guy, and it sounds like he's in it for the long haul. It sounds like as well that, um, according to the rumor mill, that uh, teams were thinking of off him, and he's just like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm not going to sign it, so... <laughs> Uh, it sounds like he's in it for the long haul, and I think if Julian Breeswater, GM, um, does everything he can to keep Vasilevsky 12 months before he had the option of doing sure. so, he'd be kicking himself if Point isn't on the roster by opening night. Um, sure. I definitely think um, before the start of training camp or in just a few days into training camp, that'll get sorted. So I think uh, the first time of the fall will be Braden Point. Uh, Who's going to hold out the longest? Yeah, It's going to be a generic straight up answer, I'm going to say Mitch Marner. Um, Just because both sides have been talking but neither has really given an inch to the other. Um, Really stood their ground throughout the whole process, both the Leafs and Marner's camp. Um, But like I said, it's just as big of a season for the Leafs as it is for the Lightning because Mm -hmm. as we'll mention in the Atlantic Division preview, Florida's gotten better. Hey, the Habs and the Sabers might be good. Tampa and Boston are both strong, and Boston's beaten Toronto, as you know, Brett. Yep. In three three playoff series, and all of them have. I gone did not know seven. that.
1: I did not know that, Steve. Can you repeat yeah. that again? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I was doing something else. Can you repeat that again?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah um, No, twenty thirteen. Rem- remember that? Remember? I, yeah, I
1: vaguely remember that. It was a little. Yeah. Bit long ago. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they. <laughs> All the help they can get. It's one thing if Neander holds out. They can't afford to let their best player, arguably um, on their roster, um, just sit and wait to get signed. Um, they need to be, They need to be very, very um, proactive, and they need to get that stuff done. And I think, I think, it's probably going to drag into the final days of preseason play. But I think on opening night mitch marner will be good to go for the lease he will have his new hand and i don't think anyone is going to hold out at the start of the season season. because like even the flyers as you mentioned um like they've added a lot they've been very aggressive um in the training front they got kevin hayes I don't think they're eager to just let connect and Provrov sit around if they think this year is going to be a pivotal year, especially with the Metro being so unknown, so wide open. Um, I, I think if there is a holdout, it's going to be a case where the team thinks they can do okay without the player and they'll take their chances, like the least did with Nylander. Um So maybe it happens with Lining. I don't know. Um, I could do a cop-out and say Jesse Pugliarvi, as we'll talk about later, yeah. for obvious reasons, but um, I don't think there are going to be any holdouts at all.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I guess pool party aside, because um, I guess technically he is holding out, even though he's... <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, you know, that's kind of surprising. I was going to say, for the last to sign, I think there's going to be a couple, actually, um, I okay. can see because I I don't like the situation with Marner because that seems to be like a huge thing for the past year. Or so, um, especially with how Marner's dad is like the big the number one Mitch Marner fan, and it's just <laughs> doing everything wrong a parent can do. Um, and um, but like I could you know I could see Patrick Liney, um, also just just based off of the comment that they haven't even talked to him at this point. So I could see, I think it, I think if there's going to be a holdout, I think it's going to be those two. But at the same time, I could see like even like Matthew Kachuk or Brock Besser just hold out as well. Or Kyle yeah. Conner. You know?
0: Yeah. I, so, I think Kachuk is a possibility Yeah, now that you mention it. But and, um, um, I did, I, I'd be a bit hesitant to say Kachuk is I, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, but yeah. Johnny Goodrow waited until the final days before the start of the regular season, and by the time opening night yep. came around, he was on the team. So,
1: by the way, um, the, okay, oh, sorry, go. What were you saying?
0: I think he's on after opening night.
1: By the way, I said um, even if
0: it, it might be it might be close, but open, by opening night, I think Kachuk Chuck will be on there because they were able to get Goodrow signed to his contract. It took a few days before opening night, but they got it done. So I think they're going to figure it out with Matt Kuchuk and they're going to get something done. But like you said, they have a lot of talent where they could get by without Matt Kuchuk if they had to.
1: True. I mean, I think a lot of these teams could do well without these guys. Maybe. Like, the Leafs would be fine without them. Um, Jets would also be fine. But um, the Bruins, I don't think, would be fine without Oh, actually, the Bruins would be okay without him, but, um, yeah. Maybe, even maybe not if, the Even Canucks, if they have the talent
0: to get by, it's just such a pivotal season for all the teams true. you just mentioned. That's why I think it would be a risk. That's
1: by the is. way, this is all – knowing our luck, there's going to be one RFA yeah. that's going <laughs> just to sign.
0: Just we say that, oh, after uh, we record, yeah, a yeah. disclaimer, uh, so-and-so got yeah. signed after we record, And recorded. it's, good, it's probably – the same thing.
1: And the funnier thing is it's probably going to be Mitch Marner. It'll or probably a. be Marner,
0: yeah. Or Line
1: <laughs> A. Yeah, it's going to be the one that we talked about. Oh, it's going to be a while for them to, to <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, that's going to that's gonna happen. Anyways, let's go to the uh, rapid fire here. Um, a, co- a couple of bit of news. Uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov um, was found with cocaine um, and the IIHF, uh, the International Ice Hockey Federation, mm-hmm. uh, banned him for four years um, on the Russian team. Um, the NHL has yet to decide. This is an interesting case because I think this happened in, like, in, there was a report in March that Kuznetsov was, like, found with cocaine, um, and he publicly denied that he uh, he snorted any cocaine, um, and then he just actively lied about it. Um, well, th-
0: see, the thing yeah. about that is... This happened back in May at the World Hockey oh, man. Championship. yeah, this yeah. This is a separate incident on top of this. True. So this is two cases here. Yeah. There was one where it was a video, and there was a line of coke in front of him at a right. party, and then there's this drug test from May at the Worlds where he gets Oh.
1: Home. Oh, so this was a different, This oh, is a okay.
0: separate incident altogether. I
1: thought it was the same incident. <laughs> no,
0: no, it's not, which makes it even worse.
1: Right. Well, no, I guess that makes sense now that I think about it. So I guess he could still be technically telling the truth, but it's probably (laughs) unlikely. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting too, because he publicly said that he was just at the party and he didn't partake or as soon as he found that there was cocaine, he, he left, but then he gets, he gets, uh, found with cocaine or he gets tested for cocaine and, um, and, uh, is, is not, um, clean on that sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, it, this is an interesting case because I'm not sure what the NHL does here. Cause he like, it's, I mean, I guess the only other president that I can think of is Mike Richards. Um, but that was a team thing where the Kings, uh, just, and, and Mike Richards like broke the law cause he was smuggling drugs out, um, out of the country so it's um but it's but this was this is a case where Kuznetsov is found with cocaine um and all that stuff and I don't know I I don't necessarily have a trouble with players uh taking hard drugs I know it happens um just as long as they're careful with it obviously you don't want like a lend bias situation um, any Celtics fans will understand that reference, or any NBA fans will re- understand that reference. But um, yeah, just the but like the fact that he lied, um, or is like was very adamant about not taking these drugs is kind of just a like where you could, like he probably was lying already. Like you kind of could tell that he was lying with even before this stuff. But it's still um, it's just a. It's just a weird situation, so or I in pure denial. Yeah, just pure denial. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't think the. Well, what did Bill Daly say? Do you have that quote? Is that, I
0: don't have the exact quote, but like he feels that cause Net, because netsaus intentions to address this because uh, netsaus trying to get help uh, with the help of the NHL. He's embarrassed that he that he let the Cavs fans down, his team down, his family down, and and he, and Bill Daly is is gonna work with kuznetsov on next steps to sort this um so i, I think bill daly is in kuznetsov's corner on, okay. on, on the one hand on the other they can't afford to let him get off easy and i will list a few reasons first off the IIHF has already banned him for four years unless it's the world cup of hockey which is run by the nhl and the nhl um doesn't uh, unless the nhl tells me how hey, you can't play in this Um, He's going to, he can play for Russia if he's invited to that event. But the double IHF, as far as world championships, I think Olympics too, until June 2023, because Nazov can't play in anything of that nature. The second reason why they can't let him get off easy is because this time last year, Nate Schmidt got suspended 20 games. He didn't get off easy. And, he didn't, I think, have any sort of intention to cheat the system at all. It was like, I think it was like supplement related, but he was suspended 20 games right off the bat. It wasn't, I don't think it was reduced or anything like that. Just 20 games. He served it. That's the end of that. Kuznetsov knew what he was doing. Yep. Cocaine is not something that's in a sports supplement. And you get caught and you're like, oh, I had no idea what's in there. I swear. <laughs> I didn't know right. it was there it's a white powdered line in front of you that you snort you know it's in front of you you know that you're snorting it kuznetsov should get at least 20 games for this wow he should get at least what nate schmidt got i would i wouldn't even be shocked if it was if it was 30 games he's a superstar player that made a mistake he needs to learn a lesson He he, he needs to own up to yeah. it And I think it's gonna make him a better player and a better person. Um, And I think the only way that you really get that across is missing significant time of a regular season, um, knowing that you can't help your team, knowing that feeling of helplessness that you can't help your team uh, because of something that you did. And that something that you did was very, very wrong. And if they don't nip this in the butt right away, I think it's going to become a problem. And I don't think it, it gets to the point where the Caps terminate his contract. Because with Richards, it's it's a unique case there. At the time of his arrest, um, it was in June of 2015 at the Canadian border, he was arrested. Two months later, he was charged with possession of oxycodone, which is a controlled substance. The Kings cite a material breach in their contract with him, proceed to terminate it. That's the end of that. But at that point in richard's career his career was starting to deteriorate he was getting into his 30s so maybe there's more than just the possession for oxycodone that led to the kings terminating contract whereas kuznetsov is on the verge of hitting his prime years the capitals need him this year um and in the years to come especially with holpe and backstrom maybe gone next year depending on how their negotiations go. Mm. Uh, I definitely think suspension, I don't think contract termination is in the cards. I I think there's still plenty of time for Kuznetsov to change his ways. This is a good lesson for him to learn, and he needs to learn it. If he doesn't learn it, um, I think they're really treading towards a slippery slope with that guy. So, that's yeah. my thoughts.
1: Um. Yeah, no that, that that's a good thing. I I mean obviously he does need to learn and and all that stuff. Um and he knew and it was definitely intentional and you <laughs> do bring up a good point. It's no one ever like accidentally does cocaine. Um, yes. Yeah. so um although I don't know anyone uh, maybe there's a way you could accidentally do other drugs, but um the yeah, but like I guess that is a good comparison for Nate Schmidt. The only difference, though, is for Nate Schmidt, like he was, he was taking uh, substance, like he was doing performance-enhancing stuff. There's no like case or like, however true it was or not, um, but because um, I think Nate Schmidt denied taking it, and the Knights also backed him up on that, but. Um, so, but like cocaine doesn't really help you with your performance. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure if that's the exact um, parallel to to make. I mean, obviously cocaine is a lot more dangerous, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it makes him a better hockey player. Um, I'm also like, I wouldn't be surprised if like, maybe like 20% of the league t- does cocaine. Um. It's just Kuznetsov is the one that got caught. Um, well,
0: yeah, and I think, I think, it also has to do with um, the question: How many times do NHLers get tested? Yeah. Like in regards to the NFL, like I can't remember a single offseason where where one player didn't get busted for quote unquote violating the league's substance abuse policy. And right. I don't have any stats to back it up but i'm thinking it's probably because they rigorously test their player i don't know how often the nfl tests their players compared to the nhl but it's either one of two things either the nfl does it more and the players get uh, get caught or um and, and that results their players getting caught more or the NHL's players are squeaky clean and they do test it as much as the NFL, or they don't test it enough and they don't see all the players that are getting caught as a result.
1: True, but like that, again, that's also like performance enhancing drugs. So maybe they're more less, you know, like they should be more strict about uh, steroids and, and all those performance enhancing drugs versus something like cocaine where it's like you can it's obviously like i wouldn't recommend it but it's not like against it's not um it's against the law but it's not like um it will help them in their performance in uh if they were taking you know cocaine while they're um you know Mm -hmm. while they're playing um yeah anyways (laughs) down to that uh Thrilling conversation here. Um, let's uh, let's go to uh, Jesse Pool Urv Pool Party, who's my favorite nickname of all time. Uh, he signs with the Finnish uh, team Karpot. I was actually looking at his uh, stats on Elite Prospects. Um, he played for Karpot for three seasons before he got drafted. Um, so this is his team that he was at for Finland.
0: Yeah, it's it's also close to home, so it's got that home kind of feel to it.
1: And also, I guess there's like a champion hockey league, which is similar to like the Champions League in soccer. But, um, so like he played a game uh, a couple days ago, um, and he had two points already. The he had one goal and one assist. Um, He scored. the goalie
0: yeah. score was like three, less than three minutes in.
1: Yes, and a, it was a one timer as well. So it's just <laughs> um, it's interesting there. Um, yeah, this is uh, I mean, this was this is unsurprising because this had been rumored for a while that Pulijarvi was going to go to uh, um, like the Finnish league uh, while because he doesn't he wants to be traded. Um and it seems like the more that uh Pugliarvi can show um in Finland, like the higher his trade stock can come up. Um mm. Holland says is that he's listening to offers but he uh but it has to be like a high price. Uh, you have a lot of opinions on Pugarvi, so I'm gonna let you speak before I, I give my opinion. <laughs>
0: Well, just the fact that you have a team that has Dreisaitl and McDavid on it and you can't make the playoffs for two straight years, especially last year. Um, And you see all these changes in the front office, um, uh, a few changes uh, on the roster too. And throughout all of that, let's see Puliarvi entering his rookie year with the Oilers was a top five pick that everyone thought would be a great addition to what the Oilers were bringing. Yep. And now- To the point
1: that people thought that Columbus was making a mistake by not Yeah, drafting. I thought,
0: why, are they, why who's this Dubois kid? Yep. Like, what's going on? And well, clear, clearly I'm the draft nerd right. now. Right. I totally saw that going. Yep. <laughs> Um it, honestly this could go so many ways. The the Oilers still have his rights at this point, which I guess is why Kenny Holland is still patient. If he wants back in the NHL and they want to maximize return, maybe the Oilers just let Jesse play out his one season in Finland, get his game back on track, because at the end of the day, whether it's back home in Finland, whether it's here in North America, AHL, NHL, ECA Bill, wherever, Jesse Pouliarby needs confidence in his game. And without that he won't have any shot of becoming the top five player everyone thought he could be and I think that's something that he was missing with the Oilers um, in his first couple of years and um, if they're hoping for a top six forward or a prospect or a draft pick, they're not getting it with pooley current value. This is a guy that needs confidence, needs to get his game back and a strong debut in finland that definitely helps um if he builds off of that that's awesome for jesse yeah. that's awesome for the oilers um but the fact we're even talking about this guy potentially leaving the oilers is pretty crazy
1: yeah um, fair.
0: Be, because he, i just can't fathom why you would want to leave a team that has both Connor mcdavid and leon Draisaitl on it yeah. and as an organization, you have to make a lot of questionable decisions to make a player say, Yeah, I think probably like twenty teams have a better chance of winning than you guys. So I want out. Yeah. See like yeah. it's it, Kenny Holland convincing Poole Arby to give it another shot in Edmonton is like convincing Tavares to stay in Long Island by making a bunch of decisions in just a span of a few months that could make you look better down the road, but convincing the player himself based on past performances is so tough especially when there are probably better options right in front of the player uh, right now so like you could wait for this team to figure it out or you could go to a team that has it all figured out and you could have success with right away Right. and in the terms of the Leafs they had everything John Tavares wanted the Islanders didn't have enough time to give John Tavares what he wanted and when they did have time in previous off seasons they didn't do that and I think pool party Jesse Pouliarby, believes there are options outside of Edmonton that are better he's tired of waiting in Edmonton for things to happen he wants to fit in and as Leon Dreisaitl says it sounds like Jesse is not eager to play for the Oilers right now and that can be a situation that affects the team as a whole and if i'm edmonton if i'm kenny holland i don't want any more distractions moving forward um so that could be a reason why he gets traded not saying right away but sooner rather than later why he could get traded um i do i i do get your opinion off the air that trading a top five pick a former top five pick hasn't turned out well for other teams (laughs) dylan strome yeah, I was about uh, to
1: mention that, but yeah. I think
0: he drew in to a, lesser, uh, to a lesser degree, but if Jesse Pugliarvi isn't going all in for the Oilers, he's not worth keeping around.
1: Yeah, I was going to mention the the Dylan Strom, so thanks for spoiling that. But uh, I, I I was just going to say that I think uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is very reminiscent of Dylan Strom mm-hmm. um, at the moment right now. Because uh, just, you know, when Dylan Strome was on the Coyotes um, and uh, he, you know, just the fact that, yeah, I was looking at his, I'm looking at his AHL numbers too. Uh, Pugliarvi does pretty, does, has done pretty well in the AHL as well. Um, he just hasn't been able to transition that into the Oilers uh, situation, and I think there, I have to check, but I think there may be like some ice time situations. Um, yes. you know, so I,
0: I think yeah. there there was a situation, I i, I can't remember the stat, but so. like in 48 uh, 40 some games they play with the Oilers, I can't remember on the average minutes per night if it was like 15 mm. minutes or 20 minutes, but I think. Uh, they only played puliarvi that yeah. amount of minutes three times all of last year.
1: Right. Uh yeah. So he averaged uh he he averaged a total of eleven minutes and fifty seven seconds last year in forty six <laughs> games. Um so that's not enough time for uh Jesse puliarvi to get acclimated in Edmonton. Uh his mm-hmm. rookie year, which I guess is understandable if you don't get a ton of ice time, but um, in 28 games, he also had 11 minutes. Um, his second year, he averaged 13 minutes, which is a bit better, but still not a lot. Um, For a top
0: 5 player, that's not high at all.
1: Right, right. So That's
0: not, that's not even 15 minutes. Yeah,
1: and so the, the interesting thing about here, and I have two notes here, uh, Pugliarvi, like Patrick Laine, uh Pugliarvi had like injured both his hips. Um, yeah, I which remember is, that. Which is uh, absurd, I mean, or, like, not absurd, not, like, in the sense that it was his fault, but just crazy in the fact that, like, you can injure both your hips,
0: and you're, like... he had surgery on both hips at the same time.
1: Yeah, and he had surgery on the same time and all that stuff. So, that's something to think about, where he may not be the same or uh, something like that, but maybe that is another reason why he's, like, he was struggling in the NHL, is, like you know, his body wasn't, um, like, ready in terms of injuries. Uh, secondly, uh, the other thing is, is that, like, the Oilers are, are under a new regime right now. Um, mm-hmm. So he doesn't have, like, Todd McClellan. He has, like, you know, he has a different coach. He has a different GM. Uh, they're, you know, so you think, like, i understand why he would be frustrated especially looking at this average ice time and stuff and playing most of his three years so far in the AHL. but at the same time it's like you know the oilers are under a new ship right now so it's it's tough to say that like um it couldn't work out for pulgarvi in the oilers but um. As for if they were going to trade him, um, it would be interesting too. Because I, you mentioned Sebastian Aho when we were talking about Patrick Laine trades. Uh, Seb- I don't know if you knew this, but Sebastian Aho played for Pot as well. Um, so yeah, and, so that and he, was, was, yeah. he
0: also he also played on the same World Junior team as uh, as Linea and Pouliarbe.
1: Yeah. So. So that would be a, like a, if he does if they do do that and you know Edmonton also needs some defensemen as well so that could be another interesting move if they were to do that um, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Sebastian Aho like and it would be another parallel to um, Dylan Strome because he was traded to Chicago mostly because his linemate was Alex DeBrincat mm-hmm. um, so um, I wonder if maybe. Uh, Carolina and Edmonton kind of figure out something to do with that. That could be an interesting match there, um, but yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think I, I don't think it makes sense for him to um, to to be traded from Edmonton because it just shows how poor Edmonton is and it's a different regime. But um, at the same time. Uh, and like I would just stick at it but like at the same time it's just uh, um, like I wouldn't call him a bust yet I would just be patient with him more um, just to see what he because uh, like there, there's definitely some players like uh, Josh Bailey who were drafted high but they ended up figuring things out later in their career um, so um, I, I still think he could be an NHL player, maybe not as what we expected him to be, but I still think he could be a decent NHL player um, on the, in the right situation
0: yeah i just don't know if the right situations in edmonton especially yeah. if they scribble out like game and he's watching from far and i'm just like do i really want to go back to this
1: yeah that's <laughs> but, fair like
0: maybe just going to a place where i'm not the guy and i don't have as much pressure on me where i can find my game again and thrive and maybe be the guy later instead of right now like yep. some guys are just not ready for for the big role right away. Sometimes it it, it just takes time. And yep. uh, maybe Puljarvi is one of those cases, but if if he were to get traded out of Edmonton, it would be basically Nail Yakupov 2.0. Another right. top five player the Oilers ruined.
1: Yeah. I guess that's a good point. But like at the same time, like Taylor Hall was a, amazing um, when he was traded to the Devils um, mm-hmm. So it's like, it could be a Yakupov situation, or it could be a Taylor Hall situation, you know? So yeah, either
0: way, the Oilers yeah. have given up on a lot of talent, and true, it's really true. The ass.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, or Jordan Eberle is another one. Um, yeah. Although he didn't have a great year in New York. Um, Patrick Maroon uh, signed with Tampa uh, for 900,000. That's uh, an interesting move. I guess it's also in preparation for Braden Point, which is why I think Braden Point's about to be signed pretty soon, because they're making these kind of deals in thoughts of uh, Braden Point. Um, It's also very similar to Kevin Shadinkirk's deal. Um, It's it's just, I guess Patrick Maroon is going for that repeat for a cup, um, and he's just going to the team that he thinks has a good chance of winning the cup again. Um, and he, and I guess he brings like a bit of leadership to the lightning. So I, I, and and depth, especially since the lightning don't have JT Miller or Ryan Callahan anymore. Um, so he provides that depth for them. Um, so I, I like this move or this signing for them.
0: Also leaving his hometown to do it, which I'd imagine is a bit uh, tough on him as well. Um. You look at Tampa like that market has a long-term shot at winning the Stanley Cup, uh, especially this year. Um, I, I love this signing just because they didn't really op- need to offer up that much money at all to get him. Like you look at Shattenkirk and Maroon combined, they didn't even have to pay three million for those two players. That's quality secondary scoring on the open market. That's how you get primed for a title. Is moves like that, uh, Patrick Maroon. Uh, 28 points in 74 games might not look that sexy but he had 11 power play points he was third amongst blues wingers in power play time last year um before that he split time with the oilers and the devils he scored a combined 17 goals and 43 points with those two teams definitely reminds me a lot of brian boyle in the sense You get a bit of secondary scoring, but mostly a guy that can really get under the other team's skin. I think a bit of peskiness is what Tampa's missing. They have plenty of skill already, but they need to be tougher to play against. And also, like you said, being a part of a magical run with the Blues, scoring that goal in double overtime against Dallas to send the Blues to round three, um, all of those intangibles, I think, bring Tampa to that next step being in those tight games those tough situations those roller coaster scenarios after what tampa went through last year they need someone who's been through the ups and downs of a playoff run and patrick maroon is fresh off one of those and his team won so um i think in that sense uh patrick maroon's presence is going to help tampa big time i really like this signing
1: yeah i i like the signing too um as i mentioned uh, Bill Guerin uh, is the Wilds GM. Um, mm-hmm. I, I loved him as a player. Uh, um, he was one of my first, like, favorite Bruins players. Um, so he got me into hockey. Um, I'm not <laughs> having said that. I'm not sure if he's going to be a good GM, but uh, he did sign, re-sign uh, e- Erickson Eck, and then he made a trade... Um, uh to florida is like a minor trade. gustav Boers, Borman um as well so he's already he's already making moves right away um yeah i mean we'll see i, I guess he can't be any worse than uh what's his face uh paul Fenton. Yeah, yeah. but um yeah that that is uh an interesting move for sure
0: yeah very interesting uh, in in a number of ways um Interesting thing about Bill Guerin, he was actually in the running for this vacant GM position before it was given oh, to Paul mm-hmm. Man, so this is actually his second go-around. Um, as a player, was a key part of some playoff runs uh, with the Devils and Penguins. He won a Stanley Cup or two. Um, one of the league's most underrated players, I would say, during his era. Um, yep. He was a part of two more Stanley Cup championships as um, a front office guy with the Penguins. Uh, he's been a part of that group the past five years there Um, but there were a lot of candidates with more GM experience than Garen right now so the question of Craig Leopold did he make the right decision this time when you went with a guy like Paul Fenton who never had GM experience before this had a lot of front-off experience but no GM experience and you get rid of him after a year and you go with another first-time GM like (laughs) you're kind of hoping that this time it's going to be different Um, But um, I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that Bill Guerin has to deal with that's going to be beyond his control, a lot of the stuff that's already happened. The Kevin Fiala remaining unsigned, he can control that, he can sign Mm -hmm. that guy. Um, Coming up, Spurgeon and Koivu as UFAs, Greenway and Kunin as RFAs, uh, Dubnik in two years, UFA, Donato in two years, RFA. Um, There's Zuccarello, Suter, and Parise. He's going to have to still navigate around those contracts. Um, Probably his biggest task is going to be figuring out what the heck is going to happen with Jason Sucker. His wife, Carly Applin, tweeted this out on June 23rd after a charity event. Um, So the tweet goes, Huge thanks to everyone at the Minnesota Wild for helping us with every request and showing up for us tons of wild staff and mr leopold took the time to attend the awards and support us minnesota media helped us spread the word two days after this happened when paul fenton tw- uh, said this about jason sucker this quote was tweeted so this is what paul fenton had to say about sucker i don't plan to get rid of jason unless the right thing came to me i listen to offers and i make offers it does not mean that he's pigeonholed into something i love jason as a player to which Carly Applin retweeted, I totally get it. I'm not planning to get rid of him as a husband, but I'm always open to offers if the right thing comes along. Yeah. And there were two times where Sucker was almost traded, one of which was for Phil Kessel. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a GM that has total loyalty to the player if he's shopping that player around and he almost gets dealt twice the same season after you re-sign him. So the first thing that I'm doing as GM of the Wild if I'm Bill Guerin I'm having a one-on-one chat with Jason Sucker, and I'm telling him what my game plan is I am telling him if he'll be a part of it or not and I'm gonna do my best to put him in an environment where he's wanted because that's what Jason Zucker wants he wants to be wanted by the team that he's playing for and the front office needs to get behind him and support him and that is something Bill Guerin can control what he can control is who has got his back who is going to be in it for the long haul and what the plan is for the franchise. And at this point, it remains to be seen. But in a couple of years, it wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota goes into full rebuild. I, it would, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me, like maybe the youngsters like Donato, Joel Erickson Eck, um, Kevin Fiala, you know, maybe they're they're around. But, Spurge, but Spurgeon, Koivu, Dubnik, Yep. tough to say.
1: I'm looking at their cap friendly page right now. The thing that's, uh, that kind of stinks for the wild is, is they could be, they could rebuild, but they have impossible contracts with Zach Parise and Ryan Suter making 7 million uh, Mm -hmm. for six more years. So, um, so (laughs) what, so they could rebuild and that's probably the smart thing to do. Um, Also you have Matt Zuccarello, for six million for five years um, as well. So like they could rebuild, but those three contracts are, you know, I don't think there's any team that's gonna want that. So, um, and and not to mention all three of those guys have a no movement clause as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the big situation or the, the big picture of the Minnesota Wild is like Parise, Sutter, Suter and Zuccarello who are all great players uh, for sure but um, they're not worth that much money um, so that's that's where it gets a little dicey um, yeah where,
0: where it also yeah. gets dicey is their development of their future players yeah. when you're strapped into those kind of contracts you're really banking on the future prospect yeah. that you draft to emerge and between 2013 and 2017 according to Ryan Kennedy of the Hockey News the only player drafted by the Wild from that stretch of time has posted that has posted more than forty points is Alex Tuck, and most of that was with the Vegas Golden Knights. Yep. So, yeah, if you can't draft and develop your players properly, tough to really stay in contention, especially in that tough ass Central Division.
1: Yeah, so, for sure.
0: They're 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 double they're double whammy twice. They play in the Central, and they're trying to keep up with everyone else, and it's just not happening.
1: By the way, I was looking at uh, Bill Guerin's player stats here. He had a pretty good career when you just look at it, um, but the most notably, because I was just remembering back to when he was in Boston. He only played there for two years, um, and then he had one year where he went. He had uh, 63 points in 64 games. Um, so that's pretty good, but I think his like best year was in uh, Dallas. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. He's, uh, he's
0: not. He doesn't have the offensive upside yeah. as someone like Pasternak. Right. But Forty to fifty points a year still provides. Yeah,
1: sixty point. Effort. I mean, he has like fifty to sixty he's points there, for most he has of his time. good man.
0: playoff runs too.
1: True also i didn't realize that he's he's from worcester massachusetts (laughs) worcester and he was a fifth overall pick so that's (laughs) also cool um anyways uh is that oh yeah that's it i think for us it. i had a look um i guess we have a bit of time but um colin white uh he signs uh speaking of bc grads uh and boston boys um he signs a deal for your senators uh 4.7 million for six years um this is pretty significant because i guess this means that colin white's going to be like a top two center um with that kind of contract
0: yeah i'm going to delve more deep into that uh, next week what i will say is that they are already talking extension with thomas shabbat which is great yep. that is what the Sens need to do they need to be proactive they need to show the fans that they're not just going to trade away every single player that they've gotten to know over the years they're actually going to address which players are going to be in it for the long haul mm-hmm. and a step in the right direction and getting uh, the extension talks with Shabbat going 12 months before yeah. they have to get them signed um is definitely another step in the right direction um so it's it's one step they need to do they need to take several more before you really take them seriously again but um it's it's definitely noteworthy for a number of reasons and i'll dig more into that next week
1: yeah, I kind of blindsided you there because yeah. I told you we weren't going to talk about it. It was in my
0: original lineup, and then it was Sheldon. I'm just yeah. like, okay, sorry, so. sorry. It, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a prelude to next week, but yeah. needless to say, it was nice that they didn't trade somebody away and they actually right. gave someone a long-term contract.
1: That uh, was good. Yeah. Other news, I, I forget if did we mention Natchushkin going to the Avalanche. Last... I
0: don't know if we did, but we mentioned we'll mention it again. I guess he got yeah. a one-year deal with the Avalanche. Uh, the Islanders also did some stuff. They yeah, gave that
1: was the a other one I was a a
0: bridge deal, and they also gave Derek Brassard a one-year Pruitt deal. So, and
1: they also um, re... they're, getting,
0: they're getting some debt there.
1: And they also re-signed Josh Hosang and Michael Dow Cole as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I
0: yeah. Del, Del Cole. The thing about him, I think that is also a one-way. So it looks like he's going to have a more permanent role. Yeah, two
1: year deal yeah ideally so yeah um so yeah those are all the minor signings there but I'm curious yeah. to see how Nichushkin does on another team um we'll see especially Colorado because they need depth and um I feel yeah, like they have you know, know.
0: they have better depth I think than Dallas does For so, sure. um yeah he, he could he could be a dark horse performer for them
1: but I like what Colorado's doing with they're they're getting guys like Burakovsky, uh Nichushkin, and Kadri who are all guys who struggled, but we know that they're definitely capable of what they did because they, they have been good in the past, or decent in the past. So I yeah. kind of like that strategy of getting guys that could like could bounce back. Um, they they also got uh, some
0: good locker room guys like Belmare and Don yep. Skoit who have been through a couple of deep playoff runs. Yep. Which is I think what Colorado needs to take that next step they need guys who have been there before
1: yeah I'm not sure if it's gonna work but it it is worth a shot and I like that strategy
0: it's very interesting to watch at least for For sure
1: sure. um so uh let's see here lace them up is our facebook lace up uh lace up podcast is that our Twitter <laughs>
0: uh, at it's at lace EM podcast that is our Twitter handle
1: no it's lace up podcast Twitter so I, I remember I when I made it it wasn't
0: it's, it's one of those two
1: <laughs> yeah whichever one you probably know which one it is because that's the only one where we really do marketing for oh it is yep. lace on podcast you're right yep. um Steve does it more, tweets more than I do. I occasionally do it, but I think Steve Steve does it almost every day, or pretty much yeah. every day. Pretty uh, much, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can email us at laceupbag um, and at gmail.com. You can catch us on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, um, and all that stuff. Uh, but you, you guys already know all this stuff by now. Um, I'm Brett Duboff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth, and before we go, um, just a little bit of a housekeeping note. Starting next week, uh, we are going to be breaking down mm-hmm. each division, starting with the Atlantic. Not totally biased at all because both our teams play in it, but that will be underway next week, and we'll talk again in episode 183 of the Lace em Up Podcast.